0: Welcome to the Solomon's Corner Book Club. Today we're going to be talking about Ketman and its various forms, specifically the metaphysical kind of Ketman that Milosh talks about in The Captive Mind. We're also going to be talking about why it is that leftism seems to be so popular among people and the kind of things that we can do in order to combat it. I hope you'll stick around on this morning's edition of Solomon's Corner Book Club. You are listening to the Solomon's Corner Book Club. If you are looking for a place to read and grow your intellectual life, welcome. So when we started Solomon's Corner Podcast, I kind of thought that it was a little bit of a long shot in terms of how well it would actually do and whether or not it would actually meet a need. But then you read something like Me and you realize that there is a need and that while in times past maybe something like this probably couldn't get off the ground we are seeing increased growth on a regular basis of this podcast so we thank everybody who's listening and everybody who's supporting us and sharing it out we really do appreciate that and i think the reason why there is this interest especially amongst people outside of maybe hierarchical positions should we say like maybe the uh, the clergy or academics they might look down on this and say well there's no that's not that's not real thought life that's not real whatever which is a problem because as we read in in milosh we find well everybody is a metaphysical kind of being a, a a thinker who desires community that is organized around a purpose or an idea that is transcendent and so There's a lot of pastors out there and a lot of Christians out there who get frustrated, for example, with why everybody goes to Jordan Peterson. Why does everybody go to the Daily Wire? And if you listen to the Daily Wire and their hosts answer questions on the mailbag, you'll find out that a lot of the questions that they get— have nothing to do with politics. Oftentimes they're spiritual, they're questions about God, they're questions about finding a church, they're questions about how to be reconnected with their faith after having a bad religious experience. Why is it that these guys, who are political commentators, are the ones who are getting all the questions that that Christians and non-Christians seem to have about sin and God? And I think the reason why, and we're going to get into it in our long-form podcast later this week, But I think Milos highlights a big reason as to why this is the case. It's that most of the churches adopted a view that community, for the sake of community, would bring people into the church, that as long as you had friends, as long as you felt like you were loved, that would end up getting you into the church. Of course, as soon as somebody comes into the church and they have this great relational experience with people, and then all of a sudden they're blindsided by a doctrine of sin— or they're blindsided by the fact that homosexuality is wrong, well, now, of course, they wonder, well, why am I here? And they have one of two choices. They can either get involved and change the church into what they actually think is correct, or they can leave. And what we've seen, I think, over the last couple years is that because of weak leadership in all of the denominations, people got involved, they got ordained, they became professors at seminaries, And now we are witnessing an existential crisis in the American church. Something that Milos also saw earlier on in uh, 1951. He says somewhere, I can't remember, I don't have the reference right here, but he says, is the West actually using its freedom? I think we talked about that on the last podcast. But is the Western Christian actually using his freedom? It would appear that he is not. It would appear that he is wasting his freedom, and it's only through a little bit of pressure, which is a sarcastic little, uh, will Christianity be reborn. And so the question becomes, why is it that Jordan Peterson, why is it that Michael Knowles or Matt Walsh or any of these guys, you know, how is it that a a Jewish guy and four four Christians come together and they decide that they're going to start a business and everybody suddenly goes there for Christian advice? Well, it's because the church has basically sacrificed the cultural war to the to the institutions that exist. And those institutions came along and they said, well, we can give man a purpose. We can have a, or a community organized around a set of doctrines, political doctrines explicitly, that will give man a sense of purpose and meaning and within the context of community. And so this whole chapter on Ketman is about how the new faith, communism, creates these, these communities around these moral, puritanical, arbitrary rules that are used to designate as whether or not somebody is a true believer of the new faith. And through this, we come to the the topic of Ketman. Now, there's a bunch of different kinds of Ketman that he goes into. Some are professional, some are political, some are ethical, but the two that I want to focus on are metaphysical Ketman and ethical Ketman. And the reason why metaphysical ketman is interesting for our purposes is because if you went in and you talked to a pastor or you talked to a Christian leader or anything, and you said, hey, you know, I'd like to study metaphysics or I'd like to know something about metaphysics. They would say, well, why, why do you need that? You don't need that at all. After all, you have the Bible. You have Christianity. There's no reason to need that. Well, what's interesting about this is is that the communists seem to be very interested in what you think about metaphysics, about what you think the nature of reality is. And if you reveal that you are not in step with what the communists say reality is, then you get sent to the gulag, or whatever variation that is. There's a lot of variations of how communists oppress people and how they punish their dissidents. And gulag is just the most famous one. But we must not underestimate the ability for the new faith to innovate new ways and new gulags and new kinds of political pressures to ensure that conformity is achieved. But these pastors, these Christian leaders, they do not think that metaphysics is important. Another author, 1984, George Orwell, his main character, Weston, ends up going into the uh, Ministry uh, of—is it Ministry of Love or Ministry of Truth? I can't remember which one it is. Okay, I can't remember where he goes, where he gets, where he gets tortured, but he gets tortured in this, uh, in this uh, later on in the book. And one of the questions that the torturer asks him is about being and history. And he taunts Weston and says, "You're no metaphysician." And so when we study communism, when we start studying what it actually does philosophically, it attacks man on his ignorance about what he is as a metaphysical being, and he capitalizes on this ignorance. And even Miłosz talks about this at the end of this chapter. Who knows whether it is not in man's lack of an internal core that the mysterious success of the new faith and its charm for the intellectual lie? By subjecting man to pressure, the new faith creates this core, that's a moral core, or in any case, the feeling that it exists. Fear of freedom is nothing more than fear of the void. There is nothing in man, said a friend of mine, a dialectician. He will never extract anything out of himself because there is nothing there. You can't leave the people and write in a wilderness. Remember that man is a function of social forces. Whoever wants to be alone will perish. This is probably true, but I doubt it if it can be called anything more than the law of our times. Feeling that there it was nothing in him... Dante would not have written his Divine Comedy, or Montaigne, his essays, nor could Chardin have painted a single still life. Today man believes there is nothing in him, so he accepts anything, even if he knows it to be bad, in order to find himself at one with others, in order not to be alone. Perhaps it is better for him to breed a full-grown ketman, to submit to pressure, and thus feel that he is than to take a chance on wisdom of past ages, which maintains that man is a creature of God. And emphasis is on is, because that word is, is a kind of metaphysical is. It's like Bill Clinton. Well, what's the definition of is? It's is in the context of metaphysics is being itself, that you exist, that you're a real thing, and that you have meaning and purpose. There's a ton loaded in those two little letters. But Christianity Today has based, not the magazine, but Christianity in its contemporary sense, well, maybe the magazine, I guess. It's possible. I haven't really read it, but from what I see on social media, I wouldn't be surprised if they actually think this way anyway. They don't believe that metaphysics is a part of your Christian development, your discipleship, and in today's context, antidote to communism. And so what we're dealing with in this culture is a leftism that masquerades as, you know, a community, a a a a, a meaning and purpose that people can have because the Church has failed to give it to them. And so, why? Because the Church will refuse to talk about political issues because they think that politics is merely preference, and this is what leftism capitalizes on. They know that politics is not merely preference. They know that it is actually part of the design of how to form a man, and they explicitly say this in their writings, that this is how we can form man into what he ought to be, This is what communism seeks to do through the institutions of power, military, and specifically the arts. And when we talk about metaphysical uh, insights, Ketman ultimately leads a man to deny these things in order to stay in line with the community. And so when we're looking at why is it that these Christians are going to these political commentators for these things, it's because those people— actually are saying, I have something I'm willing to live for. I have something I'm willing to sacrifice for. And this is explicitly true with Jordan Peterson because he's actually lost probably more than any of those other people. And it's demonstrated that he's willing to suffer for his beliefs. that's an incredibly attractive thing compared to a pastor or priest who's willing to preach the language of the left in order to make it look like Christianity is actually kind of like it. And so you don't need to actually shun us. We're kind of on the same team. We just kind of have a variation a little bit in intonation and and meaning. I mean, we're against bigotry. We're against racism. And then they come along and they say, okay, then let us get married in your church. Two homosexuals. Let us get married in your church. Hey, change your bathroom policy. I thought you said you weren't bigoted. I thought you said you weren't racist. I thought you said you didn't discriminate. And now the church is caught in a conundrum. And what do they do? They continue to try to play the word games. They try to ignore that this is coming for their churches. They try to ignore any of this stuff. And at the end of the day, they are exchanging trust of the congregants for the security of the political institutions and culture of our day. And that's why People are going to the Daily Wire, they're going to Jordan Peterson, they're asking these questions, and yeah, they get these Jungian weird things, or if you're a Protestant, yeah, Michael Knowles gets to give the Catholic message, and so does Matt Walsh, but in the context of where we are today, when they go to their churches and they talk about, well, I'm concerned about losing my job because I won't use a pronoun, the pastor just kind of smirks and says, well, is that really a big deal? Is that really something to lose your job over? Well maybe you should go work in an office and see what happens when people decide that they're not going to actually that they're actually going to start listing their pronouns in their signatures and they start actually using this as a criteria to determine who is safe to promote in the company and who is safe to keep around the advantage that a lot of these priests and pastors have is that in their denominations these battles don't necessarily happen and they're probably not going to happen they are going to continue to happen outside of the church's walls, and congregants are going to have to figure out how they're going to survive. And this is precisely what happened in Poland. And so this is a long quote, so bear with me. But Milosz talking about the metaphysical catmen around Catholics, and just so you know, this is not just for Catholics, and he says that explicitly. He says, What holds for such Catholics can be applied to members of other religions as well as to persons outside of any denomination. He says, This metaphysical Ketman, and again, this is the idea that you are putting something outside that contradicts what you believe inside. And so you do this to survive the communist pressure in your workplace, in your churches, in your your schools, and in your art. And so he's talking about metaphysical Ketman, which is synonymous for Milos of religious Ketman. He says, this metaphysical Ketman, in its turn, has a number of varieties. Certain practicing Catholics serve even in the security police and suspend their Catholicism in executing their inhumane work. Others, trying to maintain a Christian community in the bosom of the new faith, come out publicly as Catholics. They often succeed in preserving Catholic institutions because the dialecticians are ready to accept so-called quote-unquote progressive and quote-unquote patriotic Catholics who comply in political matters. The mutual game is rather ambiguous. The rulers tolerate such Catholics as a temporary and necessary evil, reasoning that the stage has not yet arrived at which one can utterly wipe out religion and that it is better to deal with accommodating bigots than with refractory ones. progressive Catholics are, however, conscious of being relegated to a not particularly honorable place, that of shamans or witch doctors from savage tribes whom one humors until one can dress them in trousers and send them to school. They appear in various state spectacles and are even sent abroad as shining testimonials to the center's tolerance toward uncivilized races. One can compare their function to that of noble savages, imported to the metropolis by colonial powers for state occasions. Their defense against total degradation is metaphysical ketmen. They swindle the devil, who thinks he is swindling them. But the devil knows what they think and is satisfied." This is the culture that we're in today. The church has no community around purpose. They just offer community. Mark Yarhouse wrote a book on gender dysphoria. He's a counselor. He explicitly talks about the fact that in the transgender movement, that there is a desire for meaning in community. And oftentimes this is what transgender people find in the LGBT community. They find a shared idea and this gives them community. But if the church continues to make their ideas ambiguous, if they don't come out and say, these are our doctrines, these are our rallying points, these are the kinds of people we want in our church, to the point of exclusion, then they will not be able to stand strong, and they must understand that they are participating in a metaphysical ketman. They are permitting the left to control the language that they are supposed to use and to impart meaning based on doctrine. And when the church does not enforce a definition of words, when they don't actually define their terms, and instead the left is the only one defining terms, which by the way, defining terms is to give them meaning, and in meaning we find purpose. And so if we don't have terms that that have any meaning, or if we let you just kind of define it how you want, if you can define the incarnation however you want, if you can define the Word of God however you want, and as long as you're just kind of there and volunteering and donating stuff... Well, then, of course, what's going to happen is that the church will become an organ of the communist ideology, in which these soft tilling of the ground of souls is done in the church, because there's no definitions there, but they use the same words, and then when those people leave the church and they go out into the world to do what God has given them to do, well, of course, that is, I'm going to be at peace with my neighbor. And what is peace? Well, better keep your job and use those pronouns, because after all... The church didn't define for you what peace is. The church didn't define for you what it means to be a peacemaker. The church didn't define for you what truth was. And so as a result, when you see somebody actually willing to take the risk to define what truth is, to actually give you something to aim at, to actually take the, the responsibility of defining their terms and their purpose and then organizing a community around that, it's a very attractive thing. And when somebody decides that they are so committed to an idea, they are willing to suffer for it, which many communists are, but also Jordan Peterson, also some of these guys at the Daily Wire who have lost jobs and they have been able to benefit from it. But either way, any of us who watched these five individuals rise to prominence know that there's something inspirational there, that maybe if I decide to live out a life dedicated to the truth, to the point of suffering, that I might not be as successful as them, but I might have a life well lived. And this is what Miwosh says at the end of his chapter. He says, But suppose one should try to live without Ketman, to challenge fate, to say, If I lose, I shall not pity myself. Suppose one can live without outside pressure. Suppose one can create one's own inner tension. Then it is not true that there is nothing in man. But to take this risk would be an act of faith. The internal core is inside man. He's not aware of it. And he's waiting for someone to give it to him. The left gives it to him and says, your internal core should be based around revolution. And so what do we see right now in today's culture? Revolution. And it's global. These ideologies of leftism are global revolutions. You are watching this happen in real time. But... Man can establish his internal core if he will be willing to recognize that the intellectual life is a gift from God and part of Christian discipleship. And if you don't believe me, then why do all these communists seem so intent on ensuring that the old ideas of the past are not studied and read privately or publicly? Why do they care so much about whether or not you commentate on Aristotle or Plato after they gain power? Why is it that these become marks of a person who's not loyal to the communist agenda and revolution? If the intellectual life is just this kind of hobby that Christians can have, or that it's relegated to the clergy, or relegated to academics, then why is it that so many peasants are sent to the gulag for having a copy of a book that might cause them to question what their ultimate purpose and fate actually is? There's one last quote I'll leave you with. This is on page 73 for those who are reading along. The literature of the countries which, until the Second World War, were free from Moscow's domination, betrayed especially strong inclinations in that direction. So that metaphysical deviation is of constant and imperative concern to the rulers. If metaphysics is just some navel-gazing exercise, then why why do all these communist rulers care so much about it? For instance, a play that introduces strangeness, quote-unquote, Revealing the author's interest in the tragedy of life has no chance of being produced because the tragedy of human fate leads to thoughts about the mystery of human destiny. So again, to the Christian leaders out there who think that metaphysics or philosophy is not part of the Christian life, then why is it that these communist ideas and rulers go to such lengths to shut it down? Even the very implication of it. If the church is going to actually fight back against communism and leftism, they are going to have to preserve the ideas of not just the scriptures, but also God's created order. And God imbibed many great men and thinkers with incredible insight into how he's ordered creation. And these ideas pass from generation to generation like a baton. Each generation has its own unique problems. Each generation has its own unique solutions. But they have to be governed and constrained by the metaphysical realities that God instituted. And communists want nothing more than to silence anyone who would dare step out and publicly say that there is a metaphysical reality and that they don't own it. But the Church has been content to just say, metaphysics, politics, all of these things that are quote-unquote academic, have no bearing on the spiritual life of an individual, so let's just come together and let's just kind of hear somebody, you know, talk from a lectern for a little bit and then maybe have a potluck here and there, maybe donate some stuff. Isn't that what you're just meant to be? Isn't that just what you're meant to live for? Given the popularity of communism around the world, I would say that man was meant for something more, and if the Church doesn't figure out how to make that known, then we will have to protect that and rebirth it under the pressure of communism, and that could be a difficult task. But it's a task worth pursuing. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and I hope that you'll join us uh, on Thursday, Friday morning for our long form podcast. In the meantime, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter and keep thinking.